Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Tom English is with us now. We're going to talk Celtic and Leipzig tonight. Uh, Tom, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm very well, Jerry. Yourself? I'm very well. Uh, this is um, this is one of those European campaigns that could very much go either way. And tonight is going to be one of the deciding factors from Celtic's perspective. The initial start, the Real Madrid game is like, oh, incredible. All the hype. The, the end-to-end, the loads of chances, and then a bit of cold-hard reality, and then a lot of cold-hard reality. And then tonight, it could be another magical European night where they wrestle back the narrative. So I guess the range of outcomes is pretty big. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, they're, 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 you talk about the magical uh, Champions League nights at Celtic, and, and I have witnessed plenty of them, but it's been a while. Um I mean, it's a good few years, seven years, I think it is, since they last won a group game at home in the Champions League. Um, they're incredible atmospheres, unbelievable atmospheres. Plenty of your, your, your people watching and listening will, will have been there, I'm sure. If you haven't, you should go. It is unbelievable. But, you know, it's a big, it's a tough school, the Champions League, and it's, and it's proving a little bit hard to, hard to, to take for Celtic. You know, the Real Madrid game was, very positive. They were very positive in the game until Real Madrid woke up and scored and then they finished. They won 3-0. Um, they got a point against Shakhtar Donetsk, which is a good performance, but wasteful. They should have won that game. And then Leipzig last week, again, wasteful early on and they got taught a lesson, 3-1. So they they really need to win tonight. Uh, and they haven't been doing a lot of that in the Champions League. Is is this all part of the learning curve for Ange mm. and his group and and this players? The, the one caveat to that is that if um you know if any of the players do well, they suddenly become very attractive for other bigger Champions League teams to pick off. And so, if if everybody can if they can keep the squad together, make it slightly stronger, keep Ange, then this is one of those like okay, that was the first time we were there. Next year is actually going to be a year where we understand how to change things up and not just be all heavy metal, all rock and roll, a little bit of defending, no harm to do a little bit of that too. Is, are, we, are we building on something here? Or is this actually, you know, do they need to take this as a single year campaign, almost like an NFL season? This team might never be together again. No, no I, think, I think they are building. And, you know, Pastor Coglu has, has spoken a lot and impressively about, you know, the, the building blocks here. He, he said after the Real Madrid game that Celtic kind of, they stopped playing. Once Real Madrid scored, they kind of got a little bit spooked. They went into their shell. He said this, exactly the same about uh, the Leipzig game last week, that um, they stopped being brave, stopped looking for the ball, stopped uh, being positive, that they almost kind of thought, right, at 1-1, geez, 1-1 wouldn't be a bad result, instead of going, try, going out to try and win the game. So they got negative in the match. And he said to them that, you know, I didn't sign you, to be negative, I signed you because you're positive players in your DNA. You're you're positive footballers, so stop trying to be something that you're not just because you're playing in the Champions League. And that's a learning process. Um, you know, these guys, a lot of these guys haven't played Champions League before, so and they're you know they're in a tough tough group. So they they, I think it's a, it's an element of growing up, Jer. Really, you know, um, they're a good team, Celtic. Although of late, 
they haven't really been showing it. You know, um, even domestically at the weekend, struggled to get past St. Johnston before that, a scratchy enough win over Motherwell 2-1. Before that, lost 2-0 to St. Mirren. So they're having to battle through these games at the moment. They've got a few injuries now. The captain is out, Callum McGregor. Captain, most influential player, best player. He's gone. He's the guy who sets the tempo for them. So they um, they don't have their troubles to seek. And they've got 13 games in 44 days, which is another point Postacoglu has made. There's a lot of fatigue going around. Well, on that, Tom, I mean, that's it is a bit of an issue because you look at the turnaround as well. I think they got back last week from uh, from Leipzig at maybe 3am on the, on the Thursday morning, yeah, uh, Postacoglu right. said, and then they have the lunchtime game on Saturday against the Johnston. So, uh, and I, I think the question was probably in relation to Jota's injury and, and, the, and the pile-up of injuries. So, fair enough excuse from Postacoglu? Um, yeah, I don't think it's an excuse. I don't think he'd use it as an excuse. I don't think he'd use that word. He'd say, say an explanation. Maybe we're splitting hairs, but he would say it as that. Um, he's, he's called it an impossible workload. That was his direct quote. Um, and he says it's not just a Celtic. He says a lot of the teams in the Champions League have the same same scenario. Um, like they should be, they're creating a lot of chances in these games. Say just the domestic stuff for a start. They're creating a lot of chances, but they're not converting. They're used to converting a very high percentage of their chances. I mean, they put nine on Dundee United earlier on in the season when they were absolutely ruthless. We haven't seen that kind of clinical side for little since then, really. Um, so I don't think you could put fatigue down to them missing chances. And they missed chances last week as well against Leipzig. Um, I think there's just a lack of accuracy. Maybe in the Champions League, they get a little bit spooked. You know, they know what's on the line. Um, it's a number. It's a number of things, but certainly the growing fatigue in the squad is an issue in Europe. It shouldn't be an issue in in domestic football because they still have a big enough squad, and you know the guys coming off the bench are all better players really than most of the guys are coming up against. We spoke to Mark Wilson on the show about this last week, and look, I don't expect Ange Postecoglou to, to change uh, tact uh, on what we know and come mm. to love with this attacking football, especially in a home European game. But I mean, Paul Lambert and Gordon Strachan were on TV after the the, the game against Leipzig last week, kind of saying, or questioning, or querying, is is this style of play uh, the right one for European football? Like, I'm not saying Postecoglou is going to change because I don't expect him to change, but is there an argument for it, Tom? I, there's an argument for everything, it's, it, but it's not one I'd believe in. Um, I, I think uh, I think Postacoglu is, is this is the way he wants to play, and this is he's absolutely convinced that over time that this is going to be a success domestically, whatever success looks like for Celtic, maybe getting through to the next phase, um, but that is going to work once players uh, become more and more used to it. They're used to it domestically; they need to get used to it against better opposition in European competition. I think I think if you said to Postecoglou, right, you need to be a bit cannier here. Um, you need to be a bit more defensive. He wouldn't have that. He wouldn't have it. He says, what's the point of you trying to turn me into something that I'm not? You know, the reason they won the league is because this is this is the style of play that they de- deployed. So there's, I don't think there's much point in him kind of betraying his own principles just to kind of try and grind out an occasional draw. Um, and to survive in games. He's not about that. I think it's one of his more admirable qualities. Some might call it naivety. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't see it that way. I think he's aspiring to be something. 
to be better than a team that just kind of exists in the Champions League and goes out tamely. He wants to be a team that actually can maybe play their way in, play their way into the next phase. And there are growing pains with that, for sure. Paul Lambert's Aston Villa were worse than Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa, by the way. So uh, <laughs> he, can, he can pipe down. Uh, I, I totally agree with you, though, because like, it's, it's the type of thing that forges this bond with the fans. And then surely the players really love playing in it as well. And if yeah. you get, you know, it's going to help with recruitment. People are going to be excited by the fact that I am going to be trusted to take risks. And if, I, if, if a mistake happens, I'm not going to be thrown under the bus. So, like... I guess the, the the key question is, and it keeps coming up anytime there's a vacancy in the Premier League, is what's the clock on this project from the manager's perspective? Uh, like, do, how long haul do you think you might he might be here for? Um, I, I don't know, Joe. I mean, I don't know. Um, he's been linked with a load of jobs. Uh, every time there's a job that comes up in England, he looks like he's being linked with it. Uh, I think, and he hasn't given a whole lot away. So I'm trying to kind of second guess here. I think he feels he has an awful lot left to do at Celtic. Um, and I think that he is extremely grateful to Celtic for giving him this opportunity, for taking a gamble on him when nobody else was taking a gamble on him. I think he's a man of kind of principle. I think he's loyal. I hope I don't, that doesn't come back to bite me now. But I, but I genuinely do believe that he loves where he is and he sees it as a project. I know it's a horrible word, but he does kind of see it that way. And he's in no rush to leave at all. I always felt, always felt when Brendan Rodgers was there, that the first big job in England he was offered, he would be gone. Despite him eulogizing the club on an hourly basis, despite him saying it's the greatest job in the world, despite him saying that, you know, he would have crawled across broken glass to to get to Glasgow to do this job. There was always something a little bit fake about it. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> with Postacoglu, I think, I think he's just a solid guy. And I think he does feel as if he has a lot left, lot left to achieve. Well, can I ask you, who is the David Dean in this? Because I'm thinking it, it sounds very Wenger-esque, you know, takes the risk, comes from the other side of the world and it plays this football which thrills everybody and also buys lots of players that nobody else kind of knew by having a bit of a market advantage. So you can see the, the parallels. But who's the David Dean character in this? Because we've spoken down over the years about some fairly significant missteps at, at um, senior management level within the, the Celtic hierarchy. Somebody surely is feeling good about themselves at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably a mixture. Um, Peter Lawwell, the former chief exec, would have been very much involved in this. Right. Um, he's still, he's not in that position anymore. Michael Nicholson is now filling that position, filling that position. So between Lowell and Michael Nicholson, they would have come up with that name. I mean, obviously they went after Eddie Howe and pursued him for months. He was very much, he was candidate number one, two and three, Howe. And they waited and waited and waited for him. And then, Eventually, Eddie Howe gave him the old custard pie and they had to go to option number two, which was Postacoglu. Uh, and I think Dermot Desmond is... It, it, listen, nothing happens at Celtic without Dermot Desmond's fingerprints being all over it because he's such a powerful, influential man there. 
So I think if um, if Dermot Desmond didn't say yes to Postacoglia, it wouldn't have happened. So I think it's a collective, really. I know that they had a conversation on the phone and Desmond is on record. He's never on record too often, but he is on record as saying that as soon as he started talking to Postacoglu, that he thought this is the right guy. Right. I think it's I think it's a number of people involved. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Because they definitely seem like they've got somebody who's there for the long haul, and there's, as you say, they're they're building something. Um, I do want to ask about the fact that uh, this massive game is on in the Champions League tonight. Um, and at the same time, in Hamden Park, Scotland are playing Ireland uh, mm-hmm. after a record crowd of eleven thousand last week. Um presumably a lot of people who might have been interested in going to see the women's team try and qualify for the World Cup against Ireland might be going to Celtic instead? Uh, yeah, well, listen, I think if, you want, if you're going to go to Celtic, you're going to go to Celtic. It doesn't matter um, what's happening down the road. Um, if you're a Celtic fan, you're going to go there. Um, but um, whether some people might stay indoors and watch Celtic in the Champions League rather than go to the women's game, I, I don't know. I, they're expecting another record crowd today. They're expecting to top the crowd from last last week. So I think there'll be a very, very good crowd there. There's a major buzz, as there as there is in Ireland. Like there's, there's a major buzz over here about, about this game. And it's certainly in the media, it's it's going 50-50. It's going toe-to-toe with the Celtic game and the Rangers game tomorrow night against Liverpool in terms of coverage. All right, that's interesting because we, we weren't sure exactly if, if it had kind of crossed over because here it's the lead story in loads of the back pages and it's certainly, yeah. and it has been really, since they were in camp last week. And, um, you know, everybody's talking about the fact that this is the potential breakout moment. It's also, I guess, a potential breakout moment for Scotland, who seem to have got their house in order over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they qualified for the last World Cup, uh, two narrow defeats and a draw. Uh, they blew it, really, against Argentina. They were 3-0 up with about 20 minutes to go, and they drew 3 all, and they went out of the tournament. But the experience stood to them... Um, they had a pretty a nightmarish end game and all of that. Shelley Kerr, the then manager, kind of balled their, her players out of it. Um, after that 3-3, the atmosphere was toxic in the camp for the next qualifying campaign. Uh, players were deeply unhappy there. But since Shelley Kerr left um, and Pedro Martinez Losa came in, they seemed to be much happier. The results are good. They beat Austria, 20th in the world. They beat them last week. A draining game on a heavy pitch and lousy weather in Glasgow. Extra time that might stand to Ireland. will be a lot fresher tonight. Um, but I, summoned, I, mean, I spoke to one of the Scotland players the other night. He said, look, adrenaline will get us through this. Yeah, we had to play 120 minutes the other night in lousy weather. But, and Ireland are fresh. But, you know, when the prize is so big, they kind of the kind of energy will always be there. I suppose I'm only half looking for a John O'Mahony Fancy Dan's um, thing here, Tom, when asking you this, but <laughs> we were talking earlier about the fact that Scotland are the, the bookies' favourites, um, and quite heavy favourites. You're talking Ireland at 7-2 to two in some places for, for tonight's wow. game. Are they really? 7-2? Yeah. Wow. Like, is that, is that wow. confidence coming across? Is there anything you can tell us from the, the Scottish media of the coverage that Vera Poe can stick on the dressing room wall? Uh, no, I, no, I don't think so. I'm afraid there's nothing, nothing that I have seen there's no, there's no arrogance. There's no overconfidence. Um, I think, I think I spoke to one former Scotland player, a seventy capper, uh, at the weekend, and she said, um, if she was to have her last pound on it, she'd probably go Scotland, but it would be very, very tight. 
a huge respect for the Ireland team. Uh, unbeaten in the last six, they they got a draw against Sweden, one of the top teams, obviously, um, in the world. Um, so on that form line, you think, well, okay, Ireland are serious danger here. Austria, uh, Scotland beat Austria last week. Austria are higher in the rankings than Ireland if the rankings mean anything. So the form form guide is kind of all over the place. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Seven to two. That is mm-hmm. incredible. That is that is, and I think everyone in Scotland would go, wow. It's this. There's no way this is a seven to two match. There's no way Ireland are seven to two. I think. I mean, I think it's. I think I was a margin because of home advantage, marginally Scotland, but but only marginally. Yeah, that, it kind of feels that way, and it feels like a lot of, especially when you reach the level of prize that is on offer for a team to win this game. Like, it's going to be very unlikely that uh, one team is going to hammer the other. Tom, yeah. enjoy the game. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Take care. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.